Today's sermon is going to require your patience. It's going to require your your attention. I'm sorry for that, uh, but it is. (laughs) Go ahead and let you know from the jump. It's going to require your patience. It's going to require your attention because what I'm doing through this sermon is laying groundwork for my main point, I guess you'd have to say. I have lots of points. If you have your if you have your bulletin on the back of the bulletin, I've put those points from the bottom up so you can kind of keep up with the sermon. Those really aren't the main points. Those are just kind of an outline of the direction that I'm going on the back of the bulletin. Like we've studied in Acts class, and again, if I'm going to say kudos to Sammy Durrett for Acts class. It's been wonderful. If you haven't been coming on Wednesday night and you hadn't been with us studying the, the Word of God in, in Acts, I mean, you're missing out on something. So this is a, a plug for Sammy's class on Wednesday night. It, it has been nothing but wonderful. And, and everyone that I talk to, every time we get through, we go, wow, man, I didn't know that. And so uh, I want you to understand. I want you to come back. I want to see this big of a crowd on, on Wednesday nights as well, okay? Uh, with with Sammy and, and, and studying the book of Acts. But like we've been studying the book of Acts, um, Peter in Acts chapter 2, when he's preaching that first gospel sermon, he's laying groundwork for what he really wants to say. Okay, And when we look this past Wednesday night in, in Acts chapter 7, uh, Stephen, he's, he, he tells a lot of the history and he lays some groundwork for what he really wants to say. And Paul, as we'll study in Acts, Lord willing, in, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul's in Athens, he begins his sermon with, with certain groundwork, and you had to have some patience to listen to it. So that's what I'm doing. Before he gets to really what he really wants to say, uh, I'm doing the same thing uh, today, laying some groundwork. So please, if you will, pay attention uh, and, and stay up with me. If you would, please turn your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation Chapter 4, I've, I've decided to have a series of lessons throughout the year, uh, once, once a quarter or once or twice a quarter, uh, on, in, in the book of Revelation, sermons from Revelation. And this is one of those sermons today. A- after John writes what he, what he is uh, told to write to the seven churches of Asia in chapters 1 through 3, in chapter 4, John writes, I looked... And behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I'll show you what things which must take place after this. After the dire warnings to the seven churches of Asia, the the first readers of, of Revelation must have anticipated more of the same. Each congregation was told the truth and asked to make a choice. The Ephesians were told to repent and do their first works. The Smyrna congregation was told to be faithful unto death. The church at Pergamos, they were warned about holding on to to false doctrines. The church at Thyatira, it it was being seduced by, by Jezebel. And they were warned about it. The church at Sardis, they were told they had better watch out and repent or like a thief in the night, Jesus was going to come back. The Philadelphians, they were told to hold fast. And Laodicea, they were told that their, their lukewarmness, lukewarmness made Jesus want to vomit. But now, as we read, as we've just read, John was asked to see 
from heaven's point of view, the things that were about to take place in the earth. Immediately I was taken, excuse me, immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne set in heaven and one sat on the throne. This is not a dream. This is not some kind of a dream that John's having. By inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John saw a vision. John saw a revelation. A revelation of God's throne. Stay with me now. If you have your hand out, this will, this will be the first point in the, in the bulletin here. The first point in the bulletin. In, in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, God's throne is referred to 17 times. And I want to show you how important it is today. I want to show you how important God's throne is to us as Christians. The throne of God is in heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verses Matthew chapter 5 verse 34 the throne of God signifies so much for us today first of all the throne of God commands our respect the throne signifies that God is in control Paul, preaching to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, tells them in in verse 24, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. No, God is on his throne. In John's vision, God is on his throne and was like a jasper stone, it says. A sardis stone in appearance. Jasper, it's described in Revelation 21 verse 11 as clear as crystal. And it represents perfect holiness. That's what that represents. The sardis stone. A sardis stone is is fiery red in color. And it describes God as as a consuming fire as the Hebrew writer did in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Have patience with me, please. Please notice. The rainbow was a reminder. The rainbow was a reminder. If you remember back in Genesis chapter 9, Noah was given the sign of the rainbow, and so were we, that God would never again destroy the earth by water. Do you remember The rainbow, no matter how man has tried to make fun and joke of the rainbow, it's a symbol of God's mercy. That's what's surrounding the throne, the mercy of God. While things may be frightening and uncertain on earth, God is calmly and he's beautifully in control. God is in control. He's ruling over heaven. John chapter 16 verse 33. So have peace because he's overcome the world. The world's been overcome. God is in control. The throne of God commands our respect. Stay with me. Notice around the throne were 24 elders. Excuse me. Were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Twelve is a religious number. Twelve times two equals 24. It could represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, the Old and New Testaments. This could 
help interpret what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, he's talking to the apostles, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. These 24 revered men, these 24 elders, sit on thrones. The overcomers... These are the overcomers. The overcomers, if you look back in Revelation, earlier in the, in, in the promises to the, to the churches of the seven churches of Asia, the overcomers are promised a throne, chapter 3, verse 21. Their, their white robes were promised, chapter 3, verse 5. That, that represents purity. Their, their promised crowns, chapter 2, verse 10, represent victory. And they were promised to be before the throne. Chapter 2, verse 7. And that's where we see them. Which tells those in the first century who are first reading this and those of us in the 21st century who are reading this today that God is faithful and will fulfill His promises. But that's not my main point. Got to stay with me. Stay with me now, okay? Hang with me. This is important. It's not my main point yet. Lightnings and thunderings. They show God's power and might. There's only one spirit, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. But the number seven, it talks about seven spirits. This number of spirits, this seven is a perfect number, and it represents the perfection, the perfect spirit of God. These lamps suggest that that the spirit brings perfect light into a dark world. Notice, stay with me. I I have not reached my main point yet. Verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like, like crystal. In chapter 21, verse 1 of of Revelation, John says there's no more sea. But that's speaking of the judgment. In Revelation Revelation chapter 4, here, the calm sea represents God, how how He's separated from His people because He's so holy. God is holy. Stay with me. Notice, who else is there in this beautiful vision? And in the midst of the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf. The third had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The fourth living creatures... The the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. Now, don't you you can't read this is this is apocalyptic language. You can't read this literally. If you start reading this literally, you'll come up with all kinds of things. No, no. Don't let your imagination run wild. These living creatures are identified. They're identified in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter ten, verse twenty, as cherubims, high order of angel. They represent power. Service, intelligence, and speed, and they're they're always aware. They're always vigilant. They always always know what's going on, and they're always ready. They're the best of the best of the angels. Verse eight. And they do not rest day or night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy, Lord God Almighty." Who was and is and is to come. Whenever the creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him. 
who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Thank you. Thank you for staying with me. Thank you for staying up with me and paying attention. Here's my main point. We here at Fountainhead, if we're going to sow, if we're going to work, if we're going to grow together, if we here at Fountainhead are going to sow, work, grow together, we've got to learn, we've got to relearn, we've got to remember that the purpose of our worship as taught to us by the four cherubim and the 24 elders is to glorify, honor, praise, and exalt God Almighty. There is the idea that we attend worship to get something out of the service, quote, end quote. And that's why we come so many times. Well, I want to go get something out of it. I don't like the way he preaches. I can't get anything out of the service. I don't like the way he leads singing. I can't get anything out of the service. I don't like the way he prays. I can't get anything out of the service. This motive is selfish. And if we're going to begin to get the selfishness out of our children and out of our families and out of ourselves we must understand the vision's example that our purpose here is to worship God. That's our purpose. When we come together like this, that's what we're supposed to do. Our worship is to bring glory and honor to God and it's not to entertain you and me. Day and night, the creatures... Sung and, and every time the elders, every time they did, the elders cast their crowns. These so close to God recognize that God is in control, and we who are so far away need to do so as well. Worship to God is holy and sacred. And when, it, when, it, when, our, when, when we pervert our worship with, with selfish attitudes, and seek to please ourselves instead of God, then we cease to be the servants of Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. As the song says, God is holy. As the, as the creatures sang, as the 24 elders sang, God is holy. As the elders sang, you are worthy. God is worthy of all good. And it, all good points back to God. Anything good, it points back to God. As we read in Acts chapter 17, He created all things. And that's why I say the throne of God commands our respect. The throne of God commands our worship. How dare we run over the worship time with our selfishness? If we would worship God like our revelation examples with reverence, Quietness, godliness, with, with the fruit of our lips. Many of the problems at Fountainhead would cease to be because we would begin our week with the right attitude, an attitude of humbleness.
rather than an attitude of, well, I didn't get much out of that today. That's your fault, not God's. Humbleness, that humbleness, that attitude of humbleness would continue throughout the week if we would just understand this this concept of the throne. James says in James chapter 4, verse 6, Tell us God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud. James tells us God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Sing with me. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And He will lift you up. And He will lift you up. Our worship is to be very humble very reverent. It's to be our very best. We owe God our best. And we must ask ourselves the question, if we give Him anything less than our best, are we really worshiping Him in spirit and in truth? Our worship honors God and builds us up to be Christ-like. When we worship God in spirit as commanded, John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24, we produce the fruits of the Spirit. Our lives of love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. That's what we fulfill. That's what we foster as we're told to in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set our minds on things above and not on things of the earth. The cherubim didn't rest in their worship day and night. As we learn here, it takes commitment to worship God. We learned that from our example in Revelation. It takes commitment to worship God. So many in this world, so many even in our number, worship God just once in a while. When they need something or on some kind of a special occasion or, or, or holiday. But our worship requires more commitment than this type of selfishness. This commitment includes a willingness to do what we're commanded to do in the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who do you worship? Your mama? Your daddy? Whom do you serve? Yourself? I serve and worship the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of David the King, the God by whose word this world was made and whose word became flesh and dwelt among us. I serve a living God. Jesus Christ is that flesh that was the word. It's the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ that I have obeyed. And it is the gospel that I'm commanded and not ashamed to preach. The throne of God plays a part in the gospel. 
The throne of God plays a part in the gospel. In Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching the, the first gospel sermon, as we mentioned. It's called the first gospel sermon. Why? Well, because in the sermon on the day of Pentecost that Peter preached, he preached the death, the burial, the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus would not be left in Hades and his flesh would not see corruption. But God, verse 30, would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out which you now see and hear. And there goes God again keeping his promises. Notice verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemy your footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. Jesus was glorified in, in the preaching of the gospel and we see how Jesus beat death and he beat sin and now he sits at the right hand of God. In Revelation chapter 5 in God's right hand while he's sitting on the throne in this vision by John is a scroll, a book some translations call it, a scroll with seven seals in the vision. This book contains the perfect will of God. That's what those seven seals represent. Verse 2, a strong angel with a loud voice cried out, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one could. No one could. John wept. John wept, not because he could not see what was inside the book, but because of out of all the majesty and all the splendor of all those who were worshiping God before his throne in heaven, there was not one worthy. Not one in heaven, not one on earth. No one could open it. John writes in verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. King David was promised, 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 13, that through his offspring, one would sit on an eternal throne. In Acts, Peter in his sermon verifies that Jesus was raised to sit on David's throne, being made both Lord and Christ. Throughout the rest of chapter 5, all around the throne, all praise God and the Lamb. And they sang, verse 9, you are worthy to take the scroll. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. If Jesus had not been the sacrificial Lamb, we would have no hope. But now the throne of God is also the throne of grace. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, we do not have a high priest, a, a Savior. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you have wronged your fellow man, or you have sinned against God, you can have mercy. You can have mercy. 
If you want to go to heaven where the throne of God is, the grace of God, salvation, that's extended to everyone. Everyone here can have that. But you've got to go through Jesus Christ to obtain the grace of God. You must obey. Then you can boldly come before the throne. You must come boldly before the throne for it commands our respect. It commands our worship. The throne commands our obedience to the gospel. We can have, if we will be respectful when we come before the throne, we can have a place here, a home here at Fountainhead to sow and work and grow together. We, we can have that home. And you can have a home in heaven as well. This home can be, be secured today. I'm, I'm asking you to make a choice. Is what I'm asking you to do. Just like all those churches in Asia were asked to make a choice. I'm asking you to make a choice today. Worthy art thou, O Lord. Worthy of riches, blessings, and honor. Worthy of wisdom, glory, and power. Worthy of earth and heaven's thanksgiving. Worthy art thou, Lord. Worthy art thou. If you want to serve a worthy king, come right now.